0: A couple weeks ago, I had the honor of officiating a wedding. Newlyweds are right here with us today. Um, And one of the things that made this one unique for me uh, was that I officiated with a Catholic priest in a Catholic church. And there were so many things that were so wonderful about that experience. But one of the things I, I, I found myself just appreciating so much was how much... Interaction there was between the congregation and the people leading There were prayers that they that one person would pray and then the congregation would pray together There were songs where they would do a piece and then the other people did a piece and and there were just so many things That I loved about that And it brought me back to a season at Emmanuel, um Where one of the things that we would do before I would step up and just dive right into the message Is that I would pray a blessing over you and then you would pray that blessing back my way and, uh, and so that, that, that was on my, my head, and, and in my head. And, and if you're new here with us, um, you don't have enough experience to, to know that when we do that here, that's sincere. You know, we're not just going through the motions when we do stuff like that. I'm sincerely praying a blessing over you, and you're sending it back my way. So um, I was thinking about this series also that was, that's coming up, this series about anxiety, and there was a, a, a prayer that, a blessing we used to pray over you that was, may the Lord, oh, the one I was thinking of here was, may the peace of God be with you all. And then you would send back my way, you'd say, and also with you. And so in light of all of that, um, I, is there anybody here that could use some more peace in their life? Right. How would you, would it be okay if I would pray a blessing of peace over you and that you'd send that back my way to start this series? Would that be okay? All right, let me pray that. May the peace of God be with you all. Thank you very much. All right, let's dive in. Many months ago, we asked you, we said out of all of the books of the Bible that we could study, out of all of the um, possible topics that we could bring biblical perspective to, which would be the ones that you would want to talk about the most? And there was one topic that was up at the top of the list to the place where nothing else was even close. And that topic was anxiety, anxiety. If you or a loved one struggle with anxiety, you are not alone. When I brought up to our staff, we were having a staff lunch, and I said, I think this is really one of the topics we should be talking about. Every single one of our staff members said, who were at that table said, either I am dealing with this myself or someone close to me is. And then, when I did the same thing with our elders, and I brought it up at our elders' meeting and said, Hey, I think this is a topic we should really take on, every single one of the elders in that room either said, This is a topic that I'm dealing with myself, or someone close to me is. And on a personal level, many of you had a front row seat a couple of years ago when I experienced a season unlike any I'd ever experienced before. I wasn't able to sleep, I lost 14 pounds in two weeks. And I came away from that season with a new appreciation for something that I'd never experienced in that way before. Well, as we launch this brand new series, here's the first thing that we want to say to you as a church. And we'd encourage you to write this down as our very first thing that we're going to say about this. Uh, If you're facing anxiety, you are not alone. If you're facing anxiety... You are not alone. And when I say that you're not alone, um, I mean more than there's people sitting next to you that can relate. This is a really, 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 really big deal. When we put this topic on our calendar, and I hopped on YouTube to see if there were any other pastors who were talking about anxiety, I took down a few notes. And, uh, and that, was, that was several months ago. And then just a couple weeks ago, I pulled those notes out and I found a post-it that said that there was this specific sermon called When Anxiety Attacks and that a million people had viewed that video. And I said, I must have put too many zeros on that. And so I wanted to fact check myself. So I went back online. I looked up that same sermon on anxiety called When Anxiety Attacks and I was wrong. It wasn't one million. It's now up to two million. Two million people, just one sermon on this topic from one person. Wow. Well, as I've been studying this topic, one of the eye-openers for me was the impact that anxiety is happening on some of the people who you would say, there's no way this person's affected by anxiety. Some of the high performers. I mean, one of the things I saw in my research and my studying was how historical figures, high-performing athletes, CEOs, how nobody is immune to this, including people you think, oh, I bet they can just shrug this off, right? Here's a, here's a, a quote that speaks to that from a, a doctor, a, a Dr. Archibald Hart, who wrote one of the books that we're going to recommend during the series. He says this, in recent years, Researchers have discovered just how much of our modern-day anxiety is being caused by stress. Stress not only causes headaches, ulcers, and heart disease, it sets the stage for anxiety by wreaking havoc on the brain's biochemistry. This is why the most frightening increase in anxiety problems has occurred in highly functioning executives, pastors, and leaders, the very group who are the most overstressed. Panic attacks do not discriminate. I'm going to read that one again. Panic attacks do not discriminate the weak from the strong. If anything, they favor the strong and the mighty. And the stronger people are, the harder they fall. There were countless stories in these books that I've been reading and people I've been talking to and and all these studying I've been doing. Countless stories of people who were going, 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 driving, driving, driving and just experienced something they couldn't explain. Like, what just happened to me? You can only go and go and go so far. This is a real problem of epidemic proportions, and it has been a widespread pain point for quite some time. One of the books that we recommended, I just gave you a nod to it earlier, called The Anxiety Cure. That one came out 20 years ago, and the author was sounding the alarm back then. 20 years ago, anxiety was already the number one health problem among women, and for men it was number two. Second only to substance abuse, which is often very much linked with this. And it's getting worse instead of better. This isn't just something that affects adults. Consider this next quote. The average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. The average kid. I had a teacher come up to me after the first service and she said, yes, 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 yes. She says that is now the number one issue that people are coming. When they're, when they're having health issues, when they're having crisis at the school, she said, at least in my school, this is number one. And she said, you know where we're seeing the biggest growth in this? It's those who are fifth grade. Fifth grade. Man. About one in six Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack this year. Not in their lifetime. This year, one in six Americans. That's 50 million people in America. We'll have a panic attack this year. Pastor Max Lucado writes this. He said, The United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. Well, anxiety and depression are often related to one another. And Lucato went on to say, listen to this, that people of each generation in the 20th century were three times more likely to experience depression than the people of the previous generation." So you got this generation, the 20th century. Next generation, three times more likely to experience depression. Multiply that again. Three times more likely next generation. Wow. One of the books I read um, spoke also to the how anxiety tends to isolate people from getting help. Check out this quote from Dr. David uh, Car- Carbonell. He says this, This is a problem experienced by millions of people, all thinking what? that they're the only one. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. And I've got some good news this morning. Anyone want some good news after that? All right, no, really? I, I, all right, for myself then, after reading this dismal report, I would like some good news. And here it is. There's a place to write this in your notes. There is real hope for those who choose to press in. There is real hope for those who choose to press in. That was one of the things I certainly saw talking with people, experiencing this myself, these types of things. There are real, there's real hope. And I'll tell you this, the answers are not simple. There is no quick fix to this, but there is real hope for those who press in. Which brings us to the little objects that were in your chairs when you woke in. Woke in, when you (laughs) woke in. It's been a long (laughs) two weeks, I'll tell you this. When you walked in, you may have found these little finger traps. If you would all indulge me here for just a couple minutes and pull these out and trap your fingers. Now, you might have to actually work hard to trap your fingers because these are not the highest quality finger traps ever made in the history of the world. So you're going to have to pretend with me that these actually work. All right? So find a way to get your fingers at least semi-trapped in these. And pretend that you are not strong enough to beast mode your way out of this, which some of you are. Um, Just pretend that you are now trapped within this finger trap. And we'll say a little bit about this. Um, If you were trapped in a true finger trap, you are not going to get out by just ignoring it. Right? Right? It's not just going to go away. It's not going to just disappear on its own. If you are trapped in this thing, ignoring it does not make it go away. The other thing that does not make it go away is if you try to resist it, if you just try to sheer willpower your way out of it, if this thing is working the way it's supposed to work, it's not going to let you out. It's not going to let you out. Several of the sources I looked at said that anxiety is the same type of deal. That in fact, here's a quote directly from a licensed marriage and family therapist. She says this resisting, avoiding, distracting yourself from anxiety are behaviors that send the wrong message to your brain. Those kind of behaviors fuel a cycle of anxiety that always leads to what? A bigger dose. So just as your fingers get trapped more, if you try to just try to willpower your way out, or just as this thing is not going to go away if you ignore it, but it actually might get worse, the same is true with anxiety. And the way you get out of these things is how? You press in. You press in. And that's what we're going to do for the next seven weeks together.
1: This is a series that isn't
0: just a four-week deal. This is one we're going to do the best we can to press in. And one of the things that I hope you see as we press in here is that there is hope. We don't want to give you stuff that sounds good. We want to give you stuff that really works. And take a look at what people are saying. Here are some of the types of things that we're going to be talking about in the course of this series. Those who were successfully treated considered the following treatment effective. So those who got to the other side of being overcome with anxiety said, these things actually work. Look at this, 95% of those people said that becoming more self-aware and learning how to to think differently, it helped. 95%. Look at this other one. Support groups. 83% of people said groups can be helpful. Not just can be, they were helpful. It was effective. This was good. Here's another thing. Look at this. 75% said that there are books that are helpful. 75%. Look at the next one. 72% learned relaxation techniques. 72% of the people said those things were helpful. Now, I want to put up one that didn't show up very highly, and that is medication. Now, what I want to say about this is I was very ignorant going in about medication. Very ignorant. I had a bias against it. The only reason I'm showing this to you with a low percentage is because the specific question was, to these people, was this treatment effective? What medication, as best I understand it, would, does is it doesn't treat the, the, the long-term issue, right? What it does is it helps people get to the starting line where you can get to a place now where you can, you can start taking those next steps towards health. It also can function like a cast on a bone, right, where you can get some support as you're growing healthier. And there's some other things with that too. So I don't put this up to diminish education. The opposite is true. We'll talk more about that a little next week.
1: All right, well,
0: one of the things you're going to find is that throughout the series, we're going to use the word recovery, not cure a lot, recovery. We're also going to use the word time a lot. Those are two very important principles, recovery and time. And they're so important. And and, and for most of us, especially if we're experiencing something like anxiety, we just want things to go away. We want them to get better fast, right? It doesn't work that way. There's real hope if we press in, but it won't be immediate. It's kind of like this. A couple weeks ago, I had one of those work days where supper had to wait and wait and wait. Many of you can relate to that, right? So by the time I punched out about the only thing open around here was Kowalski's. So I went into Kowalski's looking for something I could eat quick, But as I was walking around the store, the thing that called my name and it just almost in an audible voice just said pick me, pick me was this frozen deep dish pizza. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't want to pick you, but I want to pick you. So so I picked the frozen pizza and I turn it over and I look at how long it's going to take. And it says, bake me for seven or three, bake me for 45 minutes, 45 minutes which around midnight is just an eternity, right? 45 minutes, bake me for 375 degrees. That was a lot more time than I wanted to wait. But what would have happened if I would have taken my friend the pizza home and I would have tried to cook this thing for five minutes at 1,500 degrees? (laughs) It, It would not be all that it promised to be, right? Recovery takes time. Recovery takes time. You can't rush it. But there's hope. There is real hope if we press in. Hope that tomorrow can be a little better than today. And hope that the day after that can be a little better than the day before. And so on and so on. And you keep taking days like that, and they start to add up, don't they, over time. There is real hope if we press in. So let's do it. Let's begin pressing in. Let's take our first steps towards a day when panic attacks and debilitating phobias and deep depression no longer have a hold on us. Wouldn't it be great to be free from all those things? All right. So here we go. One of the first books that I read for this series was a book by Max Lucado called Anxious for Nothing. And his book uses Philippians, chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, as a launch point. And one of the things that Lucado said in his book is that the Bible is Kindle's most highlighted book. And guess what verse is the most highlighted section of the world's most highlighted book? It's this one that we're going to look at right now. In the world's most Kindle's, at least, most highlighted book, this is the most highlighted verse in it. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to, to open up to them and take a look at it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to have you go home with one absolutely free today. Right there on that table where the black mailbox is, we've got a stack of Bibles. there for you. Please take one as a, as a gift. All right, so here's what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says this do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in christ jesus amen now what we're going to do is we're going to zoom out from this verse a little bit we're going to be looking at a number of scriptures around it but we're going to we're going to zoom out Um, especially on the verses right before and right after this verse. So let's look at it in a little more context. Chapter four, starting with verse four and ending with verse nine. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Well, it was fascinating, fascinating to study this passage while also studying books by doctors and psychologists and counselors. If you drop the key words and phrases from the passage that we just read, if you drop those into a cognitive behavioral therapy framework, you are on your way towards recovery. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, it's not fluff. It's not fluff if you press in. This is hard-won wisdom written by a guy who should have been overcome by anxiety. If you know the answer to this question, say it out loud. Who wrote this first century letter? Who wrote this? What was his name? Paul. Paul. If you study this man's life, This guy should have been overcome by guilt and shame and regrets from his past. This man should have been overcome by relentless rejection from the crowd he had been a part of and by the crowd he was trying to break into. This is someone who should have been overcome by fear of what was waiting for him in the next town or the next village or the next day or even the next hour. This is a person who should have been overcome by people who were misrepresenting his words and lying about him. This is a person who should have been overcome by what often looked like a complete failure in everything he was doing, his life's work. It it appeared like he wasn't even making a dent into the people that he was witnessing to. One of the reasons that I like to dig deeper in the smaller sections of the Bible, like this one that we're going to look at for the series, is that a deeper read almost always reveals something that I never noticed before. Let's take a look at, at some more parts of Philippians. Um, here's something, uh, here's how it opens. Here's how the book of Philippians opens. Philippians chapter one, verses one through two. It opens like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, anyone recognize who Paul is with? He's with Timothy, where if you were here for the last service, that's kind of fun, isn't it? He was raising up this young leader who's there with him through all of this. That was kind of fun. Secondly, the, the tone, of this letter really stands out to me in a way that it didn't before. Paul is extending grace and peace, even though he's writing this letter from, does anyone know where? From prison, from prison. And it's worse than that. Paul isn't just in prison. Paul is sending his letter from prison to a place where he had previously been imprisoned in Philippi. You can find the account of what happened that was, it's um, written by another person named Luke. You can find the account of what happened in Acts 16. Paul had been imprisoned in Philippi uh, for helping a girl who had been possessed by a spirit. The people who profited from this girl's supernatural fortune-telling abilities incited a mob who began to beat Paul so badly that he was thrown in jail, in part for his own safety, which is something I had noticed before. Paul references this event in a letter to Christians living in another town, in Thessalonica, where he writes this in 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter 2, verse 2. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, the reason I'm taking out of Philippians right now to show you this is I want you to see that Paul isn't sugarcoating things. Paul isn't in denial. Paul isn't going, oh, this was great. Prison's not so bad. He is being honest. he's, He's using words like, I suffered. I was shamefully treated. There was much conflict. This is not Paul saying, you know, in perspective, this wasn't such a big deal. This was a big deal. What happened in Philippi was a big deal, and Paul was able to access a confidence and a peace, even in the midst of extreme circumstances. Anyone else want that? i love that. So let's go back. Let's learn from him. So let's go back to the opening of Philippians. Consider again the tone of this letter, but also... Let your ears perk up to to the words that Paul uses because they're going to be words that he used in Philippians 4. He says this, starting with verse 3 in chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always with every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Now, if some of those words sounded familiar, it's because he's used them in chapter four. These words that he was giving us kind of as a template for good good therapy, he's using words like that early on, joy, thankfulness, prayer, peace. This is the framework that he gives us regarding anxiety in Philippians four. My point is this. These things are integrated into his life. This isn't just, I'm going to throw something out there that sounds good. This is what's working in his life. And it just comes out throughout the letter. I would encourage you to read through Philippians. It won't take you long. It's only four chapters long. Look at how many times the word joy comes up. Thankfulness, prayer, these things that he gives us as a template for dealing with anxiety. And he believes, Paul believes that God can bring him even further than he, the place he's already at. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, or I'm already perfect. I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call, of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, again, is integrating practices that really worked. And then he extends this invitation to us in the very next verse, verse 15. Brothers, sisters, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. And that's exactly what we're going to try to do. We're going to be looking at his example for the next seven weeks together. And in addition to that, we'll do our best to be authentic and share our own real-life experiences with you. We're going to draw from experts in the field. And it is our heartfelt prayer that this new series will offer real help and real hope to a real issue. And as I was trying to think, okay, for this series, what would I consider wins? I came up with four. We'll probably wordsmith these as time goes on. But here are four wins that I want to leave you with today. That we're going to try our best to, to help you with over the course of the series. Win number one, and there's a place to write these in your notes. We want to extend a helping hand without pointing fingers. Can I get an amen to this? One of the most consistent themes that I heard as I talked to people about this series, one of the most consistent themes I've heard is how much shame and judgment and all these kind of things people are experiencing. It is heartbreaking. I literally sat down to lunch with one guy and he was telling me about a friend of his who went into counseling. And the counselor said, your worry is a sin. Uh, your worry is a sin. You know, people who are, are feeling these things of anxiety. Well, if you just claimed Philippians 4. Really? You just just claimed. What does that even mean? And and it wasn't just the people that I talked to. I saw this in so many of the books that I read. Here's an example of of something I came across um, by Dr. Archibald Archibald Hart. He said this. He said, let me emphasize that the stigma I have just alluded to is significantly greater in the Christian subculture and the lack of understanding or, more accurately, the gross misunderstanding." of what causes anxiety is having devastating effects on many Christians and their families. Almost everywhere I travel in the world, I encounter deeply troubled Christians who feel guilty and hopeless just because they don't understand how widespread anxiety problems are in our overstressed lives. Those around them, including spouses, family members, Christian friends, judge them most cruelly. And this judgment is born of ignorance and even sheer unadulterated stupidity. Believe me, just a little bit of knowledge on this subject could work miracles of recovery. God is not wreaking havoc on his people like a plague. His own people are condemning helpless sufferers and their misguided judgments are causing a lot of the misery that I see. Can we agree? that we are going to be a community of people who are not going to be pointing fingers at one another, that we're going to be a community of people who are going to listen well, and we're going to offer that helping hand rather than a pointing finger. Can can we agree to that with a show of hands right now? Can we agree to that? All right, thank you, thank you. All right, let's talk about a second win. Second win. Oh, this one, I'm so excited for this one. I can't even tell you. Win number two would be to reveal the science behind the scriptures. This gets me so pumped because I was pre-med for a while. And you may have noticed that we included quotes today from theologians, medical doctors, PhDs, licensed marriage and family therapists. We did that on purpose. I want to show you that they are speaking with almost one voice on this topic, at least the ones that we're looking for, this broad broad range of perspectives. Again, I'm so excited for next week because next week we're going to do the best we can with the time we have to show you just how closely the science and the scriptures are aligned when it comes to recovery. The scripture says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And one of the game changers is when we start to learn how we work with our minds and with our bodies rather than against them. This is going to be so good, so good next week. All right, well, that's our second win. Here's a third. A third win would be to introduce people to helpful resources. They're going to come in the form of songs. Some of these songs are, well, all of these songs are Picked for a purpose. There's so much great stuff in them. In addition to the songs, we've listed four in your notes, four different books that I want to highly, highly, highly recommend. We've got copies of all four in the lobby that you can take a look at and you can get them really easy on Amazon. I wish I would have had those resources 30 years ago. But the problem with that is, I don't know if any of them were written 30 years ago. One of them was written just last year. We tried to get some books um, like The Anxiety Cure, which is the one, if you're only going to read one, read that one. That one was written 20 years ago. It still holds true today. We've got other ones that were written as early as last year. I want you to see there's so much good stuff out there. And the reason I'm going to encourage you to read all four is because just like if you're trying to grasp something with your hand, Grasping with four fingers is going to give you a better hold on something than one, right? And this is a topic that merits this kind of a, 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 a kind of a response from us because it's so widespread, not just for our own sakes, but for the sakes of those around us. So I want to encourage you because each one of those, there's overlap for sure, but there's also some unique content to each one of these books that speaks to this issue. So I'd encourage you to consider picking up. If you're just going to do one, do the anxiety cure. But if you're going to look at all of them, I'd encourage you... I'd cheer you on to that goal. So in addition to songs and books, Pastor Jason also has a list of referrals because one of the things that is so helpful is to have professionals in these fields work with you. Professionals. We are so blessed as a family to have a family counselor that we see sometimes more regularly, sometimes not as regularly, but someone who can help us navigate the complexities of life and relationships. We're so thankful for our, our, our family uh, counselor. I've mentioned numerous times that I'm so thankful to have people in my life, mentors and coaches. You know, people like Roger Twito, Mark Stromberg, Nate Morris, Tim Stenerson, people who are speaking into my life and encourage me and challenge me and supporting me. Find people like that. They're sitting all around us, people that can speak into your life. They're a great resource. I also want to encourage you to find those smaller communities too. Things like small church where you can get in there and have people who are praying for you regularly where you've got a a range of people, a variety of people who can speak with different perspectives and sometimes you're going to find you have something to offer them. Sometimes they have something to offer you. But to have a community of people, a smaller group who can bring in all kinds of different pieces of the puzzle. And to that end, it's been a long time since I've publicly thanked our PRC. We have what's called the Pastor Relationship Committee here where I've got a group where I can come and I can be honest and I can be open and I can be real in a real safe environment. So thanks to all of you, Deb and Mary and Tim and Jeremy Rockford, Jeremy Marr. Thank you for playing that role in my life. You know, I want to do the best I can, again, to not just give you stuff that sounds good. This is stuff that helps. All these things that I've referenced, they help they help in my life and they've been helping so many others as well. All right, so these are some wins. Let me give you the last one though. And this is the most important of all. All those things that I've given you, so important. This is the most important of all. It would be a win in this series to honor Christ and to invite people into a real relationship with him. Paul's framework for dealing with anxiety and worry and fear, it was remarkably effective. And Paul's framework had Christ at the center of it. And this isn't me just saying something that old pastor should say something about Jesus before he's done. <laughs> the, you read Philippians. It's unbelievable. Lucato Maxucato, I didn't have time to fact check him on this. But Max said that Philippians has 104 verses. In those 104 verses, Paul mentions Jesus 40 times times. That's once every 2.6 verses. That's a lot of Jesus, even for Paul. One of the core tenets of our faith is that God the Son stepped into our world and Christ experienced this. He knows what it feels like to have the adrenaline released into our system and everything that that does to our body. He faced challenges and stressors in a human body that he designed he experienced injustice he experienced loss this is one of the core tenets of our faith and another of the core tenets of our faith is equally as important and that is that Christ broke the power of sin and death and the grave amen here's why this matters as i studied these these non-Christian sources I was reading through they, they kept talking about how important it is and how helpful it is to remind yourself that things might not be as bad as you think they're going to be <laughs> they said that's really really helpful that it might not be as bad as you think it's going to be if I was reading that I'd be like this is not helpful because it might be worse than I think it's going to be right right <laughs> Let me just read it like I wrote it. If millions have found hope in frameworks based on maybes, how much more hope do we have when we place our faith in the one who spoke reality into existence and proved his commitment to us by stepping into history and overcoming death and the grave? Can I get a amen or hallelujah no wonder paul mentioned christ every 2.5 or 6 verses this is the key to it all to know that we know that we have a god who has experienced this god knows what it's like to be us And not only that, we can build our lives on a firm foundation, not maybes. We can seek treasures that no one can steal or destroy. We can anchor to eternal security. We can trust a God who has demonstrated his desire and his ability to work all things for what? Good. Even the worst that the world can throw at us. In this world, we will have trouble. In this world, we'll experience anxiety and fear and worry. But there is hope, real hope, for those who would press in that we need not experience bondage to it. Can I get another amen on that? You're not alone. We're with you. God is with you. So let's take a step in that direction right now. Philippians 2.28 says this. He says, that I may be what? Less, would you like to be a little less anxious? Then let's do it. Let's do it. Let's take a step in that direction together. I want to invite the worship band to come up. And as they do, I want to take a step towards that right now with you guys. Over the course of the series, we're going to memorize. We're going to memorize Philippians 4, 4 through 9. But we're not going to take it all on at once. Let's take one step in that direction today. So, I'm going to read this once to kind of give you the cadence. And then, if you could join me in reading it, let's memorize Philippians 4 4 right now. It goes like this Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Again, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Again, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. With your eyes closed now, here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. You can do this. We can do this. All right, well, they're, the worship band is going to close us with a song.